Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome to Convert Central. I'm Kevin Sidik Lim, the host of Convert Central, and I'd like to welcome you to Season 3 of Convert Central. Our podcast focuses on the challenges that Muslim converts face along their conversion journey to help Muslims from all backgrounds to find a strong foothold in Islam. Follow our Instagram and LinkedIn page at Convert Central, and I look forward to sharing with you all the beneficial series we plan for the year. For now, I'd like to welcome you to Season 3 of Convert Central. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back to Comet Central. So, alhamdulillah, we are thinking it through episode 6. And we've actually completed 5 episodes for everyone who's wondering. And we've covered a variety of topics across the 5 episodes. So, for our uh, listeners today who just came in in episode 6, we just want to give everyone a short overview of uh, the previous 3 episodes as well as give, give everyone a recommendation that you guys should actually start uh, listening to this series at the start of our, our series, which is our IG Live. So the reason being, this series is built slightly differently from all the other content that we put on Commerce Central, and is the the kind of uh, discussions that we have. They are actually sequential. It's built on upon the other discussions we've had in the previous episodes. So I'll start by summarizing the previous episodes, and after that, I'll pass on to Ustaz to talk about the topic for today. So on we started off our series with an Instagram live, which is still archived on our Instagram TV. Uh, we talked about the kind of framework that we choose to tackle big questions that we are going to be answering in this uh, series. And this series is essentially answering all of your questions that you guys have when coming to Islam, coming to learn about faith in general. And we have kind of designed this series to follow a certain thought process to answer questions sequentially. So, of course, we start our Instagram live by giving a framework to answer these big questions. And that framework that we've chosen and that we've actually determined to be the perfect framework to answer the questions will be the Islamic worldview. So... In episode 1, we've actually established the proofs of the existence of God, being the bedrock of the framework that we're using to tackle this question. So Ustaz shared three theories of the existence of God. And of course, he always mentions that the burden of proof then would lie on people who disbelieve in the existence of God. So in episode 2, we moved on to address questions like understanding uh, of God's attributes and questions related to his attributes, like questions like, why can't God create another God or why can't God destroy himself? So we answer that through the understanding of the nature of God and the relation of God to man. And in episode 3, we moved on after you know that there's God, after we have certain you know, queries about God that we've had answered. Normally, we move on to t- talk about what about our will and God's will. And that's what ep- episode 3 kind of addresses. It addresses questions like why are some human beings born without a limb? Or why are some b- human beings born with an extra limb? And how do you make sense of that? And how is the will of man determined by the attributes of God? We answer these questions through the understanding of the nature of man and how man is actually a manifestation or our our behavior is manifesting the attributes of God. And um, that is also combined with the understanding of the duality of the attributes of God. And I would highly recommend all of you guys to start from uh, IG Live all the way to episode 3 because it's it's a big understanding that we're trying to establish here. So episode 4, we move on after we understand a little bit about how our will interacts with with God's will. We move on to understanding the universe. So um, in the Islamic worldview, you understand everything in, in, in three big uh, sections, uh, God, man, and the universe. So in episode four and episode five is a two-part um, episode where we address questions regarding the universe. So we address questions like, why does God not make us die early if you're going to be sinners? Or how does the universe play a part in our lives as creations around us? And um, we understood that through the nature of the universe and its relationship with us and God. In episode five, we address specific questions like if Allah, if God is all merciful and all powerful, why are there Muslims who suffer in the world? And also, what does Islam say about the existence of inequality in the world? And lastly, 
if a country suffers a calamity, say a flood or, or, or natural disaster, does this result of God's displeasure on the country's people? So we, un- we, we answered these specific questions using the understanding of the purpose and the nature of universe, the universe in our daily lives. So in this episode, which is episode six, we will move on to talk about the afterlife because um, we've actually had a precursor in the previous episode. We talked a little bit about afterlife and how it actually assisted us to answer some of the questions. So naturally, when we finish talking about understanding the works of God in our life, the will of God, we start thinking about, okay, then what about afterlife? Like, is, is there an, even a need you know, uh, for afterlife? One can rationally believe in God, but may not have rationally believed in the afterlife yet. So today, we're going to tackle something like that. So without further ado, I'll pass my time to Ustaz Dr. Mubarak to actually give a, a summary of what we're going to talk about today before we pose him some specific questions regarding the afterlife. Bismillah, Ustaz. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salam ala Rasulillah Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Alhamdulillah, we have come a long way in answering some of these big questions uh, regarding God, human and the universe and how all these three are interrelated. Now we are into the question of the afterlife. How does Islam view the afterlife? Now, the Islamic worldview encompasses both ad-dunya, which means this world, and al-akhirah, the afterlife, in which the aspects of this terrestrial world must be related in a profound and inseparable way to the aspects of the life to come. The afterlife aspect has ultimate and final significance within the Islamic worldview. This world, as how we are living, is seen as a preparation for the afterlife. Everything in Islam is ultimately focused on the akhirah aspect without thereby implying any attitude or neglect or being unmindful to the roles and responsibilities that has been entrusted upon us in this world. So basically, right, Islam does not have this dichotomy between the profane and the sacred. Both are important dimensions within the life of a Muslim. Thank you, Ustaz, for the summary. And uh, we'll just move on to the first question where we explore the possibility of an afterlife. So, Ustaz, is there a possibility of the afterlife? Well, a usual continuation of the question, is there a possibility of an afterlife? People will always say, science has not proven afterlife, so how can afterlife be there? Right? So, here, here let, let, let us talk about this, right? Now, this possibility cannot be seen from the perspective of science because science is not the subject matter that is used to prove the afterlife. Science as a subject matter deals with matters which are physical, whereas afterlife is a non-physical thing. We must know the subject matter of the various fields. Spiritual realities are not within the realm of science. The tools of science are meant to measure physical quantities. If we hold a position that we need science to prove religious realities, then we have upgraded science into a belief system, a belief that is called scientism. This is the main problem of our current contemporary world. We make science to be the measure of all things. We make scientific methodology as the methodology of all things, regardless of the nature of the subject matter. Now, in our daily life, we use different tools for doing different things. If the wrong tools is used, a tool that does not match the intended work or objective, it does not work. Even within the same field, different tools are used to assist in achieving different tasks. 
we need to be trained to use those tools before we can operate them accurately and precisely. A stethoscope is used to listen to the lungs and the heartbeat. It is not used to look into the ears or eyes of patients. Proper operation tools are used appropriately when surgeons carry out their tasks. Now, when it comes to matter of spiritual and intellectual importance, we suddenly lose our logical mind and we use a blanket rule that as long as science does not prove it, we do not want to believe in it. Science has not proved the existence of afterlife. Therefore, there is no afterlife. Now, this logic is absent. We thought that we are being smart, but actually we have been blinded by the impoverished vision of the world out there. Islamic worldview and all its components and application, as we have described throughout this series, gives each existence its appropriate reality, its appropriate tools for us to know and study, its appropriate goal and purpose. Now, let me use another tool to prove the possible existence of an afterlife. Now, let us look at dreams. Majority of us, or if we can say all of us, has experienced dreams. Are dreams objective or are they totally subjective? I will say that they are both objective and subjective. When we dream, we experience this same phenomenon where time, space, language, and other components of this physical realm does not matter. When we dream at times, we feel it so real that when we, when we wake up, our heart is pumping fast, or we smile and feel good about our dream. These are objective experiences that all humans who dream will experience. Now, dream is also subjective because it reflects the state of our soul. Therefore, our dreams are all different. Now, let me expand this. As it is objective, and when we dream, we find that all that we experience in the world of dream to be real, but when we wake up, we say, it is just a dream. Could it be also that this world we are living now is a dream? When we die and wake up, that is where life actually starts. Even in our dream, there can be a dream in a dream. Therefore, the possibility of life after death is not impossible. We have been made to experience dream in order to make us reflect that there can be another life after our death. The Malay language encapsulate this idea very beautifully when they say some when we when they when they say that when someone has passed on, they will say this word meninggal dunia, meaning that the person has left this world when death, leaving this world to go into another world. Thank you, Ustaz, for that uh, answer. And uh, I think uh, it's something that really speaks up to me, especially when it comes to afterlife. Like, this is po possibly the topic that requires the biggest leap of faith. Uh, I think it's, it's rationally is like pretty uh, possible to prove the existence of God, making sense of everything around us, right? But when we talk about afterlife, it's something that, um, for me, it took a long time to believe in. And, and truly, I think something that really helped me to understand is that we sometimes as human beings and for me being a non-Muslim coming into learning about religion and, and almost all religions have a, their own version of afterlife, right? It's really thinking that, okay, afterlife isn't proven. Like, there's no measure, right, for afterlife. And, and some, some, some part of me as, as my nature as well 
we just want to know the answer to all things. We, we want proof to everything, you know. So is there like a, a scientific experiment that we can use to prove the existence of afterlife? Uh, I don't think so. I think there have been some that, that, that have tried, but even in science, we fail to prove it. Um, and I don't think it will ever happen. So when, when it comes to things like the afterlife, I think um, what we re- truly rely on is the um, bit of revealed knowledge that is given to us about the afterlife. And truly, when we think about it, there are even things that are around us beyond the afterlife itself that, that science hasn't been able to prove yet. Like, what, what is the reason why we need to sleep? It's something that um, we, we, ha- we haven't uh, gotten to know why we need to sleep as a, as a biological function. Uh, something like death as well. What, what is the change in a human being before and after death? You know, why, why, why do we even die of a natural cause of, of, of just old age? Why is that so? And when we die, uh, what, what is the change? Why is the physical change in the human being when we die? Where does our consciousness come from? Why do we uh, choose to fall in love with, with one person as compared to another when they have roughly the same characteristics? These are things that we can't prove and answer with science. And when, when I, I started to see these things, I realized that truly there are certain aspects of even our own human dimension that we, 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 come, we come in terms with on a daily basis that science hasn't been able to prove yet. All types of science hasn't been able to really uh, definitively prove yet. So you start to realize that truly, uh, like throwing back to our first episode, our first Instagram live that, you know, science is, is, is a field of study. It's, 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 we, and, and, you know, how we can use this field, field of study is that we can still use it for it to be beneficial in our lives by using its methodologies and all, but we cannot subscribe to this uh, field, field of study as an entire worldview. We cannot use it as a religion that guides our life. And, and truly, when, when you understand that um, being, having an afterlife makes sense to, you, to, to actually believe in. So this is something that um, it worked for me as a personal uh, process of understanding the afterlife. And as, as well as Ustas mentioned that there are specific tools that, that we can use to understand the afterlife as well. So um, thank you, Ustas, for the explanation. And um, we'll, we'll move on to the next question. So after proving that there is afterlife, right? Um, what is afterlife as how Islam has described it? And um, of course, when we talk about afterlife, like just because for, for, for some of us, just because we believe in God doesn't mean that we believe in afterlife. So maybe you can help us shed some light on this. Now, as I've mentioned at the start of this episode, that within the worldview of Islam, the life here is related profoundly to the life to come. The life to come is the ultimate purpose. All the things we do here determines and is closely related to the world to come, to the afterlife. Everything in Islam is ultimately focused to the Akhirah aspect without thereby implying any attitude of neglect or being unmindful of the dunya aspect. Now, how do we know the nature of the afterlife? This, we have to rely on revelation to inform us about the afterlife and how this world affects our afterlife. God has described to us the existence of the afterlife in many instances in revelation. I will talk about the importance of revelation all right, in our life uh, in the next two episodes. A more sophisticated word that deals with the sciences of the afterlife is called eschatology. Now, this science, the science of the end of time, which modern science does not deny the possibility of our solar system collapsing and inevitably death of the solar system. Now, let us not go into this here. It is a big subject in astrophysics, 
but has relation to us human being as we have described how the cosmos is related to us and to God. Now let us return to our subject matter of the afterlife from the Islamic worldview. It is impossible to discuss the teaching of Islam without referring to the great significance that the eschatological teachings of Islam possesses not only for our final end, but also for our life in this world. The Prophet, upon whom be blessings and peace reminded, and peace reminded his companions at all times of the nearness of death. It was he who said, die before you die. And it is said that he advised Muslims to live as if they were to die tomorrow, and also as if they were to live a thousand years. The Prophet also reminded his companions of the immortality of the human soul, God's judgment on human actions, and of the eternal consequences of our life and actions on earth. Therefore, from the very beginning of Islamic history, Muslim thinkers has been concerned with the questions of eschatology and the life of the individual Muslim. And therefore, from the very beginning of Islamic history, Muslim thinkers has been concerned with the question of eschatology and the life of the individual Muslim has always been lived with full awareness of the realities of the afterlife. Thank you, Ustaz, for the explanation. Um, I'd just like to also add on one point that, um, as mentioned, I, I think one part of the Islamic worldview, as I've learned under you before in class, um, is that we rely on uh, reviewed knowledge, transmitted knowledge to, to, to gain understanding of the things that we do not, of the unseen, as how we would term it. So afterlife is, 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 is of the unseen, of course. No one has, went back, uh, has, been, has, has been dead and then came back to tell us what afterlife is, right? So truly, we rely on transmitted knowledge. And when we talk about worldviews, worldviews is also something that we um, accept and internalize as a whole. It's, it's not uh, logical to p- take maybe 50% of, of a worldview that makes sense and then uh, disregard the other 50% uh, just because um, some parts, they, they don't have proofs. You know? and, and I would honestly, as, as a person, uh, if, if 80% of something has been proven true and the other, person, uh, other 20% hasn't been proven to be untrue yet, they are just unproven. I would honestly prefer to believe in, in 100% of, of, of that worldview or of that reviewed text. And, and this is something that probably you, you, will, uh, you will be constant throughout the end of time. It's not 100% possible to prove 100% of religion. If not, there will be no faith involved. So, but if, if you know, 80-90% of, of, of a particular worldview has been proven by science or things that we use to understand our lives, then, you know, and 20% hasn't even been proven wrong yet, you know, I, I think it's 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 that that subject matter itself it's it's a very uh feasible and worthy of of our faith. So of course when it comes to afterlife, then we have to rely on this transmitted knowledge. We have to put trust in this transmitted knowledge, accept it as you know as as the totality of our lives that it exists and the version of what it has been described to be is the true version of it. So this is uh, how Ustaz has also uh, explained to us that you know in beginning of our Islamic history. We have been relied upon the, the narrations of the Prophet and how the Prophet uh, of Islam has taught his companions and, and his congregation about what is afterlife and, and the Islamic version of the afterlife. So thank you, Ustaz, for the, for, for the answer. And, uh, and then subsequently, we move on right to the next part after we know about uh, what is the afterlife, why we have to believe in afterlife. We move on to understanding afterlife and how we can translate that understanding to uh, balance our thoughts and actions in this life. Um, so maybe I can get Ustaz to also tell us what is afterlife in Islam and why is this version of the afterlife 
why does it make perfect sense in the larger context of our own lives, in our thoughts and actions, and how our life would end eventually? Right. Now, all the all of the teachings of Islam would crumble if the afterlife or the eternal life were to be denied. The other world or the akhirah looms as a vivid, concrete, and central reality in the life of every generation of faithful Muslim. It is taught throughout the pages of the Quran and the Prophet saying that Allah observes all of our acts, that we accrue merit for good acts and must pay the consequences of the evil acts which we perform. This world is in fact like a field in which our actions are sown like seeds and they grow into plants which are then harvested in the next world. This image appears in many different forms in Islamic teaching, including this world is the growing field or the planting field for the next world. Now, human life is constituted in such a way that the action which we perform in this world here and now have consequences not only beyond that moment, not only beyond the immediate confine of this action, but even beyond this world because they affect our immortal soul. We possess an immortal soul and does not cease to exist at the moment of death for this soul continues to survive in various states in accordance with the way we have lived and also, of course, according to the mercy of God. Here again, one sees an interplay between the justice and mercy of God, which one cannot reduce to simple bookkeeping and accounting. A great sin performed by one of God's creatures may be forgiven by him if that person seeks forgiveness and repent from the depth of his heart. Whereas a small sin, if it continues to blemish the soul, could in fact leave an abiding effect upon it, which could bring retribution upon the soul. Now, you may have questions on what is a great sin, or what is a small sin, what God forgives and what he does not forgive, and how the human being will live after the moment of death. Now, these are extremely complicated questions which involve the mystery of divine mercy and divine justice, and which therefore cannot be reduced to simple formulas. Nevertheless, the injunctions of Islams are very clear. According to them, those who live well, die well. And our state of being after death is related to how we have lived in this world. If he who lives according to the tenets of Islam, now if we were to live according to the tenets of Islam, we will live in a state of happiness in various paradise, which the Quran describes so beautifully. As for those who perform evil and do not repent, they face the pains of the infernal states, to which the Quran also refers over and over again. Therefore, the first important element to remember as far as eschatology is concerned is that it has a very important ethical implication. Its implication is that we must live ethically in this world not because of the fear of an external law, the police, or the state, but because of the fear of God. The love of Allah and the knowledge of Allah are based on the fundamental fear of Him, and that is why it has been said, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of Allah. This fear is related not only to the majesty of God, 
but also to the grandeur of the human being, to the fact that we have been given the responsibility of being human and being bestowed with free will or being bestowed with the freedom of choice, ikhtiar, to either follow God's teaching or to rebel against them. We do not have the possibility of trivializing the human state as if we were not free, as if we were not the vicegerent or trustee of God on earth. That is not a possibility for us. Our actions have consequences beyond the grave which we cannot avoid. And precisely because we are human, our life is not destroyed completely at the moment of death. Rather, the life of the soul and the spirit survive after the death of the body. Because of all these realities, we must live our lives on earth according to moral principles. We must shun what is evil, or more specifically, what the Quran and the Prophet consider to be evil. We must live according to the will of God as revealed in the Quran and expanded and further clarified by the Prophet, a subject of most importance, which we will discuss in the last two episodes. Now, when we refer to the fear of Allah, the fear of God, we are not describing fear as in terms of the fear of a man standing in front of a lion, of a hungry lion. That's not the fear that we are talking about. Right? It is the fear that we are not able to carry out the responsibility that we have. But this fear is also balanced with hope, as how we have described the names of beauty and the names of majesty come together, all right, working in tandem within our life. Now, the Quran also refers to astrological events, which concerns the whole of humanity. As already mentioned, Islam believes that this world in which we live is not eternal. It has a beginning and an end after which Allah will create other worlds, for it is always the creator, Al-Khaliq. But this present world was created with a definite beginning and will have a definite end marked by astrological events. The important lesson, as far as the general teaching of Islam is concerned, is to keep in mind at all times the reality of death and the afterlife. The ultimate consequence of human action and our responsibility to God for what we do. The precious gift of human life, which has allowed us by the grace of Allah to possess the freedom to act and to accept his teaching on the basis of our freedom and not by coercion, must always be kept in mind. Without the realities of the afterlife, the other teachings of religion would lose much of their compelling influence and the spiritual tension of the human life in this world, which is part and parcel of the reality of human being, would disappear, leaving human life without an ultimate meaning. This would happen since no matter what human achieve, what we achieve in this world, there is always the certitude that this achievement will automatically founder flounder and disappear. The greatest material achievement, not only of the individual, but also of whole civilization, can and in fact do wither away. It is only the eschatological realities which bring into focus the permanent, abiding and eternal consequences of human action, precisely because 
human beings are being created for immortality and the eternal world. The ordinary Muslim lives with the hope of entering paradise at the moment of death. Death is not something which is negative within the Islamic worldview. Death is not something which is pessimist in Islamic worldview, but death is an opportunist. It's an opportunist for all of us because death will remind us, will keep us in check about how we are carrying out the trust that God has given. Now, a Muslim, therefore, seeks to live according to the divine law, to be compassionate, forgiving, and generous, generous, to avoid lying, deceit, calumny, not to speak of the great sins such as murder or taking a partner upon God, which is considered to be the supreme sin in Islam. There exists in Islamic teaching this very delicate and beautiful harmony between the rigor of God's law and the mercy which flows from him, has the name Ar-Rahman, the infinitely good, Ar-Rahim, the compassionate, Al-Ghafur, the forgiver, testify. Again, the name of beauty and the name of majesty. God expects us from us righteousness, morality and virtue, but since he knows the weakness of us, he also forgives and has mercy upon us. This is remarkable economy which embraces both of these elements of justice and mercy. Traditional Islamic life has continued its existence over the centuries, producing generation after generation of men and women, many of great virtue, who have lived in the fear of Allah's retribution, but also in the hope of His forgiveness. They have brought ethics to Islamic society, which must always reflect the realities beyond this world in the same way that our actions echo beyond this world of space and time in which they are performed resonating in the world of eternity. Thank you, Ustaz, for the explanation. So I, I really truly love um, the explanation that Ustaz has uh, given us earlier on. And it really completes the entire image that we see our world, our actions and our lives and God. And when, it, when we talk about afterlife, it's, it's truly um, the case where without the afterlife, then a lot of things that we are doing it loses its meaning because we, we know that this world is limited, right? Now that we, we know that there's an, there's an end, it's, it's a creation. And then the afterlife, that will be eternal that has been promised to us by God. And as a non-Muslim myself coming into, coming into religion, understanding religion, I remember, I recall the times where I didn't believe in faith and the afterlife. I would lay in bed at night and I would just think to myself, like, what, what happens after I die? Like, what, what, what would come to for all my achievements? I, I, I live an entire life building myself as a person, gaining skills and, and gaining virtues. And then it just ends. Like, my life just ends. Makes me afraid. You know, in, in, in a way, it makes me very, very afraid. But knowing in that there's afterlife coming into religion and, and learning about this version of afterlife and how it fits in all of our the context of our own lives, you actually you actually start to realize that yes, you know, like there is meaning now because whatever you build as a person, you take with you into the afterlife. You don't start becoming a bad person just after you die and you lose all your virtues, right? You bring them with you. But what you don't bring with you, you don't bring money with you, uh, things that you chase in the material life. And that's when you, you start to realize that, yeah. You know, as, as someone who, who is rational and we have, you know, um, accepted that there's a concept of God, we can't separate this life and the hereafter. They are not two separate lives. They are interconnected. 
And when Ustaz also mentioned about fear, it's, it's a good point that fear isn't stemmed from how we, how we feel fear when, as we are watching a horror movie, how we feel fear as we, are, we, 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 we think about how we are going to die. It's in, in, in a lot of Islamic settings, we are, we are talking about fear of losing the love of God. And, and this fear really um, manifests itself when you know what God is, right? He is all-seeing. He is all-hearing. The police might not catch you when you're doing something that no one can see you. But in all states, where you are, what, whatever time you are, God sees always. God would hear uh, what you say. He knows your thoughts. And that is also a part of why the afterlife is so important to us Muslims. Is, is that even in uh, places where no one sees us when we're isolated, we continue being good. Goodness is, is not only externalized, but it's also internalized to, our, to us Muslims. And that gives us a very balanced life. So thank you, Ustaz, for such a beautiful explanation. And we move on to the last question of the night, where most of us coming into Islam or coming to religion, we, we start to think about afterlife. Then we start to think about the people that are close to us. My parents uh, are not Muslims yet. I hope that they are Muslims. But what about afterlife for those who do not have faith in Islam? Or more specifically, we end off with this question, do all non-Muslims go to hell? Now, what is meant by the term non-Muslim is also subjective because Allah will remove from hellfire even those with an atom seed of faith. Thus, one cannot determine someone to be condemned to hellfire for eternity due to their disbelief in the unity of God. That knowledge only lies with Allah. A convert should continue to have a hope that one's parents may have some faith in the divine and continue to pray for their parents' wellness. As for making dua, that Allah give them what is best for them or that which they deserve even after death while consigning their affairs to Allah, there is nothing wrong with this. If one wants to be more cautious instead of explicitly asking for forgiveness, one can continue to ask in this manner, O oh Allah, please grant my parents what is best for them in your knowledge. Now do take note that this subject about the salvation of people of other faith has differences of opinion within our Islamic intellectual tradition. We have opinions from one end that states that non-Muslims will go to hellfire and track to another end of the spectrum where hellfire itself is not eternal. Thank you, Ustaz, for the explanation. And one last point to add before we close off the episode as well is that all these perspectives and differences in opinion, um, they are all also stemming from how we can translate the mercy of God even to people whom we see as non-Muslims. And because God is, is all merciful and His mercy extends not just to the believers but also to the non-disbelievers, He's still giving them oxygen, He's still giving them their sustenance. And this, this mercy is understood differently uh, to different people according to the uh, various rulings of Islam. So, uh, for people coming into religion, coming into uh, faith, if your question is, can I still do good to my parents? Can I harbor good thoughts to my parents and the people that I love, even though they are non-Muslims? The answer is always a resounding yes. There is no situation where converts come into Islam and then the bond between them and the parents breaks. And in most cases, the, the bond actually strengthens and exponentially grows stronger because of the way Islam has changed us as human beings. And I myself, I, I really feel that change in my life as well. So thank you, Ustaz, for the, for the answer to the question. And uh, Alhamdulillah, we have uh, it's brought, out, brought us to the ending of this podcast when we talk about afterlife. And uh, both of us, we really pray and we hope that uh, it gives you a, 
better understanding of, of what the afterlife is and the Islamic perspective of the afterlife, which is truly the, the, the perspective of the afterlife that, that makes uh, perfect sense to us human beings. We also understand, as mentioned in all our previous episodes, that definitely this will not be a definitive answer to uh, your questions. And, and of course, as we mentioned that all the different perspectives and, and the differences in opinions from scholars, they come from a, a perspective of certainty not to doubt whether there is afterlife or not. So definitely there'll be differences in opinions. Uh, do come and reach out to us if there are any further discussions that you guys would like to have and we will find a way to answer this, uh, to make sure that these discussions can happen as well, inshallah. So at this point of time, I'd like to get Ustaz to assist us with ending the episode by reciting Tasbir Kafara and Surah to Asr. Bismillah Ustaz. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إن الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر صلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين والحمد لله رب العالمين. آمين. Thank you, Ustaz. Thank you so much. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.